from the Heidelberg Catechism. We read together Lord's Day 21. What do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Christian Church? I believe that the Son of God out of the whole human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, defends, and preserves for himself by his spirit and word in the unity of true faith, a church chosen to everlasting life. And I believe that I am and forever shall remain a living member of it. What do you understand by the communion of saints? First, that believers all and every one, as members of Christ, have communion with him and share in all his treasures and gifts. Second, that everyone is duty-bound to use his gifts readily and cheerfully for the benefit and well-being of the other members. What do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? I believe that God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins nor my sinful nature against which I have to struggle all my life, but will graciously grant me the righteousness of Christ that I may never come into condemnation. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, what do you think of when we speak about the church? And how would you define it? Most people consider a church to be a building for public Christian worship. But in essence, the church is not the building. You can be a church of Jesus Christ without owning a building where you meet. Some people speak of the church as a, as a particular denomination of Christians. They'll speak of the Roman Catholic Church or the United Church of Canada the church is not a denomination of Christians. In Article 27, the Belgian Confession defines the church as a holy congregation and assembly of true Christian believers who expect their entire salvation in Jesus Christ are washed in his blood and are sanctified and sealed by the Holy Spirit. The words congregation and assembly both refer to a gathering of people. The church, by definition, is a gathering of true Christian believers. We do not worship at church or participate in church. We are the church. Now, beloved, that's nothing to be arrogant about. We need to understand that the church is not a club, where a group of like-minded people get together to pursue a common interest. You can voluntarily join all kinds of different clubs, like a soccer club or a chess club or a model train club. But the church is not our work. It is Jesus Christ who gathers, defends, and preserves a church for himself. He is the head of the church. We are 
his body. He is the shepherd. We are his flock. If Christ did not gather us together, the church would not exist. It's amazing to see how Christ gathers different people to make up his church. In the time of the apostles, many of the early churches consisted of both Jewish and Gentile Christians. They came from very different backgrounds, and they practiced very different customs and traditions. And yet Christ broke down the wall of hostility between them. He united them in a common faith in him. So membership of the church is not based on a common cultural heritage or on certain socioeconomic position in society. It doesn't depend on us all having exactly the same perspectives on life. Faith in Jesus Christ is the basis for our unity together. This afternoon, we're going to pay attention to what it means to be Christ's church. Consider how Christ gathers us together and how important it is for us to come together as the body of Christ. We'll examine the blessings of sharing in communion with Christ and our calling to use our gifts for the benefit of one another. We'll reflect on the grace that we have received in Christ and how that affects us in our relationships with one another. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. The Good Shepherd gathers his redeemed people into his flock, the church. The church is gathered by the shepherd's word. It shares in the shepherd's gifts and is forgiven by the shepherd's blood. Lord's Day 21 begins with the question, what do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Christian Church? Now, in our afternoon sermons, we're working our way through the articles of faith found in the Apostles' Creed. Three times before, we've confessed, I believe. The first time was, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. The second time it was, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son. Last week we confessed, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And now we confess, I believe a holy Catholic Christian church. Now there's a fundamental difference in our confession of our triune God and our confession about the church. Three times we confessed, I believe in God. But we do not say, I believe in the church. To believe in someone means to trust in that person, to rely on him. In the Bible, God teaches us not to trust in people, for they're often fallible. They often let us down. God is the only one in whom we're allowed to believe. He's the only one worthy of our trust and devotion. He is Almighty God, our Father in Jesus Christ, loving, faithful, and true. For this reason, we cannot believe in the church. 
We see, beloved, the church is made up of people. Yes, they are people whom Christ has gathered and is gathering. People who are redeemed. People in whom the Spirit has worked faith. But they're still only people made from the dust of the earth. People who can hurt us and disappoint us, who can betray us and turn against us. We don't put our trust in the church, for the church is prone to error and sin. Churches do not always remain faithful to the teaching of God's word. They do not always live according to the commandments of God. We've seen that we do not believe in the church. Yet we confess that we believe a holy Catholic Christian church. Why does the Apostles' Creed still talk about what we believe about the church? This teaches us to think properly about the church. When it comes to discussing the church, our opinions, our thoughts, our ideas is not what's important. Whatever experiences we've gone through in the church should not determine what we think about it. Our perspectives on the church need to be formed by what God teaches us in his word. The Bible gives us the right perspective on what the church is. When the Catechism asks, what do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Christian Church? The answer begins by pointing to the glorious work of God's Son, our Savior Jesus Christ. It says, I believe that the Son of God, out of the whole human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers defends and preserves for himself by his spirit and word in the unity of true faith, a church chosen to everlasting life. In summary, I believe that Christ gathers, defends, and preserves a church for himself. Our reading from John 10 makes clear how the Lord Jesus gathers, defends, and preserves his church. In this passage, Jesus presents himself as the good shepherd. In the ancient Near East, shepherds cared for their sheep in a different way than most shepherds or cattlemen care for their flocks and herds today. Today, most shepherds or cattlemen seldom, if ever, lead their animals. They drive them from behind. With the use of trained sheepdogs, or they direct them from horseback, or with mechanized vehicles. But in Jesus' day, shepherds led their sheep. In John 10, Jesus talks about the shepherd coming through the doorway of the sheep pen. The sheep pen held different flocks, cared for by different shepherds. But a shepherd knows his own sheep, and he calls them by name. They hear his voice, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice 
of strangers. So how does Christ gather his people together today? Well, the process is exactly as described in John 10. Jesus, as the good shepherd, speaks. His sheep hear his voice, and they follow him. How exactly does that work? Well, Christ has appointed office bearers to speak as his ambassadors. The central task of any pastor is to preach the gospel. When pastors faithfully proclaim the good news of salvation, Christ is speaking through them. The amazing thing is that Christ works through his word and spirit in the hearts of all his children. He causes his sheep to hear his voice, to recognize that he's speaking to them, to believe in the gospel, to follow him. In Romans 10, Paul explains the way of salvation. He says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Then he asks, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Paul concludes, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Let me give you an example of how Christ worked among the Gentiles in Pisidian Antioch. Paul and Barnabas came to the city and preached the good news about the Savior, Jesus Christ. Many of the Jews rejected the message, yet the Gentiles did not. Acts 13 verse 48 says, When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. The Holy Spirit used the preaching of the gospel to bring many people to faith. What we need to understand, beloved, is that God has always accomplished his purposes by speaking. God created this world by speaking things into being. Psalm 33 verse 9 says, For he spoke and it came to be, he commanded and it stood firm. Striking to note that God wanted his speaking to be at the center of his life and the worship of his people. While all the surrounding nations worshipped images they could see, God forbade his people to make or have any image of him. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 records Israel's confession of faith. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Note that word, Hear. Israel was to hear, to listen to the voice of God. For it was by means of speaking that God made himself known to them. So where do we hear God speaking to us? We hear the voice of the Good Shepherd when we gather together as Christ's flock. You see, beloved, Christ has given the means of grace to his church. 
What's so special about the church? The church is Christ's body. He gathers it together. The church is an assembly of people belonging to Christ who gather together in one place. It's in the gathering of his people that the gospel is preached, that the Spirit works and strengthens faith in us. So, beloved, do you believe a holy Catholic Christian church? When we confess our faith, we often sing the words. But do you truly believe them? Do you believe that the church is Christ's work? Do you believe that the Good Shepherd gathers, defends, and preserves you and all your fellow members as church here at Redeemer? Can you say with the Catechism, I believe that I am and forever shall remain a living member of it, that is, of Christ's church? It's one thing to say that we believe this. It's another to show it in our lives. If Christ works and strengthens faith through the preaching of the gospel, then we need to hear that gospel, don't we? If the church is the gathering of God's people, then as much as possible we need to be gathered together, don't we? Christ has promised the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. But at times we see Satan prevailing against individual Christians. When is it that Christ when is it that Satan has opportunity to tempt us and lead us astray? Most often that happens when we're not following the good shepherd, when we're not listening to his voice. Most often, part of straying from the church involves no longer gathering together with God's people. The Belgian Confession says that there is no salvation outside of the church. When it says this, it's not denying the power of Christ to bring whomever he wants to salvation. The criminal on the cross beside Jesus became a believer in Jesus Christ during the last hours of his life. There are people who come to faith when lying in a hospital bed or through a prison ministry in some jail. And yet the point of our confession is that no one ordinarily comes to be united with Christ and a partaker of his benefits unless he or she is gathered into Christ's church where Christ is present through his spirit and word. During the past few years, the public health restrictions have prevented us from always gathering together as Church of Jesus Christ. There's been much debate in our churches about whether it was right to restrict the in-person gathering of the church. Some have pointed to the ability to live stream our services. Indeed, beloved, that has been a great blessing but it's not a substitute for what the church is supposed to be. A flock is not a bunch of scattered sheep listening to a video broadcast of a service led by a minister. The church is 
the gathering of God's people. Beloved, you may have become accustomed to worshiping by a live feed of the services. It's indeed a great blessing when we cannot come to church because of our age or because of sickness or childcare or other valid reasons. But it's no substitute for the real thing. You should not be content to get up late on a Sunday morning and lounge in front of the TV with a coffee in your hand watching a live stream service. Please remember, the church is the assembly, the gathering of Christ's flock. It's when we come together for in-person worship that the Spirit has opportunity to work in our hearts with the gospel, that he binds us together in unity of faith as we sing and pray and give in support to the needy. As the Good Shepherd, Christ is the one who gathers us together. Our responsibility is to heed the call to gather in worship. It brings us to our second point, and it will see how the church shares in the shepherd's gifts. After speaking about the church, our catechism moves on to what we believe concerning the communion of saints. To understand what this is all about, we need to examine who the saints are and what it means to have communion with them. Often when we speak about saints, we think about holy men and women in church history. In the Roman Catholic Church, saints are extraordinary Christians who have lived exemplary lives. People like Mary, the mother of the Lord Jesus, and like the apostles. And the Bible speaks differently about saints. In Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, he addresses the church of God as those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. To be sanctified means to be made holy, to be set apart for service to God. Christ is the one who sanctifies us. Through his blood, he washes us from our sins. By his spirit, he renews us in his image. Because of Christ's work, we are the saints. Not just a few holy ones among us, but each and every one of us. What does it mean that we, as saints, have communion? With whom do we have communion? And what is the bond that unites us? To have communion means to share something, to have something in common. Fellowship, partnership, and relationship are words that express what it means to have communion with someone. Paul gets to the essence of what it means to have communion in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9. He speaks about how God has called us into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Our catechism expresses it this way, that believers, all and everyone, as members of Christ, have communion with him and share in all his treasures and gifts. You see, beloved, the thing that unites us is not that we come from a similar background, it's 
It has nothing to do with our socio-economic position in this world. Having a Dutch heritage or being white middle-class people is not what binds us together. The bond that unites us is that we all share in Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The thing that holds us all together is that we all share in one body and one spirit. We all have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. We're united by common faith in Christ. Together we share all his blessings. Christ has given many blessings to his church. He has called us from out of darkness into his marvelous light. We don't need to live our lives without any meaning or purpose. We should not let ourselves be plagued by guilt and shame. We have a living Redeemer who has delivered us from sin and Satan. In Christ, we have peace with God. His grace is sufficient to supply all our needs. Because of His redeeming work, we can live from out of the joy of our faith. We have a living hope through Christ's resurrection from the dead. Christ has also blessed His church with many other gifts. As the Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ has appointed office bearers as under-shepherds. Pastors are called to preach the gospel, administer the sacraments, lead in public prayer, teach catechism, and generally pastor the flock. Elders are called to have supervision over the flock, to comfort and admonish with the word of God, to exercise discipline, and also to have supervision over the pastors. Deacons are called to show forth the love of Christ as they minister among us. Ephesians 4 makes it clear that it's not only office bearers who have a calling within the church. Paul writes that God has given various office bearers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Thus, it's not the office bearers who are called to do the actual work of ministry. Their job is to equip all the members of Christ's church so that each one of us can serve in some way to build each other up in the faith. It's the responsibility of each one of us to be active in building up the church of Christ. Our Catechism explains this. It says that everyone is duty-bound to use their gifts for the benefit and well-being of the other members. Our reading from Romans 12 teaches us how to do that. We are to love one another with brotherly affection. We are to be constant in prayer. We are to contribute to the needs of the saints and to show hospitality. We are to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We're to live in harmony with one another. We're not to repay evil with evil, but to overcome evil with good. 
Now, beloved, you cannot love someone if you never spend time with them. You cannot pray for your brothers and sisters if you don't know what's going on in their lives. You can't show hospitality if you never have anyone over at your place. You can only truly rejoice with people or weep with them if you have an intimate bond with them, if you're involved in their lives. You will not be able to maintain harmony with your brothers and sisters without ever confronting their sins, seeking repentance and reconciliation. Many Christians today view the church as a spectator sport. They view it in the same way as going to a hockey game or attending a concert. You may be faithful in walking through the doors of this church for Sunday worship. You may stand to sing and sit to listen and then walk out of the door into your personal life again. Yeah, beloved, we're called to be the body of Christ, the family of God, the communion of saints. As such, our lives are meant to touch, to intersect, to connect with the other members of the church. Beloved, are you a spectator? Or are you a participant in Christ's church? Are you using your God-given gifts for the benefit of the other members? At times, our attitude towards the communion of saints is, what can I get out of it? It's actually quite a self-centered attitude. Instead, the question we need to ask ourselves is this. How can I contribute to the life and to the well-being of my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? It's by getting involved in each other's normal daily lives that we help each other along the pathway of life. It's often in giving to others that God so richly blesses us in return. Brings us to our final point. And it will see that the church is forgiven by Christ's blood. Lord's Day 21 concludes by asking, what do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? It teaches us about how rich we are to share in our Savior's redeeming work. With the catechism, we say, I believe that God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins, nor my sinful nature, against which I have to struggle all my life, but will graciously grant me the righteousness of Christ, that I may never come into condemnation. Our reading from John 10 shows us the riches of our salvation in Jesus Christ. There Jesus proclaimed his deep love for us. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We know that Jesus not only proclaimed the good news of salvation, he also lived it. Jesus was willing to walk the pathway of suffering he was betrayed by Judas, denied by Peter, forsaken by all his followers. His own people did not receive him. Instead, they cried out for his crucifixion. 
Jesus was nailed to the cross. He suffered the agony and the shame of such a cruel death. But most of all, he was forsaken by God. He bore God's wrath against the sins of the whole human race. He did it for the forgiveness of all our sins. We confess that God will no more remember my sins. What that means is that God will not continue to hold them against us. God is all-knowing. He knows everything we've ever said or done or even thought. But by forgiving us, God wipes the slate clean. His anger against us because of our sins is taken away. Our sins, which threaten our close communion with God, no longer form an obstacle in our relationship together. Atonement has been made. Christ paid the price. The guilt of our sins has been taken away. We've been reconciled to God, restored in our relationship with Him. This grace that God has shown us will also have an effect on how we live as Christ's church. If we truly recognize the misery from which we've been delivered, we will live thankful lives to the praise and glory of God. If we are aware of our own sins and shortcomings, we'll also be patient with the weaknesses of others. Those with humble hearts will not quickly make judgments about a brother or sister for whom Christ died. The point is that those who live by grace will also deal graciously with others. Beloved, this afternoon we've seen what it means to be Christ's church. We believe that Christ is the one who gathers his flock together and that it's really important for us to come together for in-person worship as much as we can. We've seen the blessings of sharing in communion with Christ and our calling to use our gifts and talents to love one another. We've considered the grace we've received in Christ and how that should motivate us to live in love and unity together. Our prayer is that the Spirit will bind us together so we may truly live as Christ's church in this place. Amen. In response to the gospel message, let's rise and sing together. The church is one foundation, hymn 52.